This is episode 134 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled Wildpreneurs, a Practical Guide to Starting a Business. This episode is part of our near daily series during the pandemic and also the first of our series about entrepreneurship. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, where we talk about work, working, and how to make work better. If it's work-related, we're on it. Who knew talking about work would be this much fun? I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and host of the show, and thank you for joining our quest to improve our workplaces. Let's do this. I'm really pleased to welcome a new guest to the show today. Uh, Tamara Jacoby is with us, and I'll introduce her. She's known as the Jungle Girl, and she's the founder of Tailwind Jungle Lodge and the author of Wildpreneurs, uh, which is going to be our subject today, a book about her experience starting her own business. And it was just published this year by HarperCollins. And she calls it a guidebook for turning passion into business. It's also an adventure story uh, that tells about creating that lodge uh, alongside the wisdom of experience of fellow wildpreneurs globally. Tamara's Jungle Lodge on the Mexican Pacific attracts international guests seeking inspiration, adventure, and a fresh perspective. She was born in Vermont and raised in Quebec. Her free spirit was sparked by shoestring budget expeditions with her family, and I'm going to ask her to tell about those, so I won't spoil those. Mm-hmm. Her journey continued at Middlebury College in Vermont, where she attended a class called Entrepreneurship 101. On graduation day in 2007, she skied down a mountain with a Wall Street job opportunity in one hand and a plan for her dream business in the other. She looked beyond the status quo, tuned into what makes her come alive, and headed to the real jungle. So Tamara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I'm so delighted to hear the birds in the background can tell you really in the jungle. And I should mention to the listeners, Tamara has warned me that we're on jungle Wi-Fi, uh, so we may experience some uh, technical challenges, so just bear with us if we do. So let's start out by talking about Tailwind Jungle Lodge, and tell us about your dad and your family and what your inspiration was for this project. Yeah, so I run the lodge with my parents. El Tigre is my father's name and Jungle Judy. And we have been here almost 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And it really is a family dream come true. As you've read in the book, I'm sure my inspiration is absolutely my parents. And I had a very free-spirited upbringing, which I think is where the wild part of Wildpreneur's originated. Mm. Uh, My parents are originally from Alaska and New York City, so they had an interesting beginning. But as a kid, their idea for us of a family vacation was to climb the Mexican volcanoes or to bike for two months on the U.S. Continental Divide. And so we were fairly adventurous as kids, and there were many nights around campfires that we daydreamed of creating a family business, but there was really no shape to that. Ultimately, I think what gave it shape is at Middlebury College in Vermont, I was able to take a class called Entrepreneurship 101. And 
it all collided. My parents had just purchased this piece of jungle in Mexico, and I was really inspired by the ecotourism movement. So I wrote the plan for the Jungle Lodge in this class, and we decided let's give it a shot, which was, I look back on it, and we really had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. I've learned so, so much since then. So fast forward now, 15 years, that's why I wrote the book was to to share about the experience. And it really has been the ultimate adventure, a life of no regrets and so much gratitude, especially now being stuck at home. I feel like, you know, not great for business, but we're so lucky to be in the jungle. I think the book opens with you guys all kayaking. Tell us about that trip. Yeah, yeah so post-graduation at Middlebury, I pitched this business plan to my parents and I said, this is what I propose we create. And my dad said, great, but first we're going to go on another family adventure because he was turning, (laughs) of course, you know, we don't have to work yet. Let's go play. Right. Um, And so he was turning 60 and his idea of a birthday celebration was once again to venture out into the wilds and spend, it was 48, 49 nights, I think. And for those of you that are familiar with the Baja Peninsula, we launched from San Felipe on the Sea of Cortez side and we paddled down to La Paz, all self-supported. So we carried all of our stuff in our kayaks. And I have to admit this time at home with a lot of open hours and not a lot of scheduled time, although virtually I know our lives are very full now, but the time on the Baja was this awesome opportunity to spend eight to 10 hours a day daydreaming. So that's where the beginning of the lodge really hatched as those we had a lot of brainstorming and visualizations and again, more campfires and just more imagination. And I think that's really where it all began to take shape because the business plan that I wrote actually morphed into something much more realistic. So I've been thinking about a lot of people at home right now, and I think it's an awesome opportunity to do some daydreaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting notion that you kind of stumbled on to really take a break after you've written your plan and just mull it over, you know, take the time to really think things through, especially with your partners. I think the timing of that trip is really, really cool. Yeah, it was very useful. I probably would have headed in the wrong direction had I not given it a lot of time to to percolate and to mm-hmm. really you know, let it germinate, I guess, and then eventually blossom when we t- took this idea and put it into action. But I think spending a lot of time thinking is a really useful, it's a useful step. Yeah. Funny how that works out that way. Thinking is good. (laughs) You have some some really great stories in the book about the challenges of making a destination lodge in the jungle and dealing with, I guess they're sort of like monkeys or at one point you kind of refer to them as raccoons and then there's a huge snake and and then there's a horrible (laughs) ant episode. Do you want to share any of those stories with the listeners? Yeah. So I I guess I thought of myself as a nature lover going into the creation of the lodge, but the reality of actually living in the jungle was very different. And I think many of my guests would probably agree with that. They think, oh, the jungle's going to be great. And then they get here and they go, oh my gosh, it's really the jungle. Right. (laughs) Well, yes, it is the jungle. And so I had many lessons to learn from the wildlife. The ants for me was the was a turning point because <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> you know, you think, okay, snakes, never loved snakes very much, but you don't think ants in the U.S., you don't see ants like they come through in the jungle. And so I woke up one night and there were just these 
paths of ants all around my house, like a, an exodus. There were these highways. And I immediately grabbed the hose and went to war. I sort of felt like I, these have to get out of here. You know, this is my house. And I spent hours and hours hosing down these ants and they'd get washed away and then immediately reroute and be back on course. So there was wow. really nothing I could do. Everything was just futile until I finally realized that I couldn't win and I collapsed. And in the morning, <laughs> I woke up and there wasn't a single ant around. They were totally gone. And the moral of that story for me was that the natural world here is so cyclical. And instead of fighting it, I've learned to work with it. And right now, the cycles that are happening are there's jellyfish coming through, which are, they're so beautiful and they're terrifying because you don't know how strong the sting would be if you actually fell in. We've been doing some paddle boarding and looking at the jellyfish. And so there's jellyfish and then there's the hummingbirds coming through right now. So there's the bliss and the brutal in equal measure. And it's a, it's been a huge lesson for me to flow and learn and adapt. And so there's a chapter called biomimicry in there. I, I share a lot of those experiences. One of those stories that really struck me was when you first launched and you invited some family friends to come and stay, and your intention was to charge them, but they didn't have a very good experience. You talk about them getting sick and growing up. And sometimes I think pricing is one of the hardest things for entrepreneurs to get right. So what did you learn from that experience and what's your advice? Yeah, I think you you nailed it. Pricing is definitely a tough one at the beginning. And as I shared in that chapter, we started out charging very little. And so we undervalued our service, which I think you have to start somewhere. So that was a really useful exercise for us to realize how much work it actually was and what we wanted to do and what we didn't want to do. I think wearing too many hats from the outset was bad and we couldn't have charged enough money to, to make it worthwhile. You know, we had to specialize and so first of all, identifying what you're best at, what you really want to offer. And then I think a useful barometer for us as far as setting a price is if, if we can look at our friends or look at ourselves in the mirror and, and name our price and feel confident and comfortable with that, that's a really useful exercise. I think also for me, I've learned to look towards what others are doing that are offering a similar service or product. So in the jungle, we're offering something that's fairly unique, but there are other eco lodges globally that offer similar kind of nature-based experiences. So looking to them for the price that they've set and then making it my own. So what we've done here is we've also, we want to make it accessible to travelers like ourselves. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to offer a product or service that you would buy yourself, you know? Right. And so we have our price points are actually staggered a bit because we have the more rustic glamping style bungalows that are basically just platforms with canvas safari tents on them. And then we have casitas that are more of a step up that I would say kind of more fall into the eco chic category. So mm -hmm. we kind of offer a little bit for everyone. And we've found that those price points are really nice to have that diversity. I've been really curious in thinking about people, especially from Colorado, which you spend where you spend part of the year, coming down there and having that same experience that you had, like, oh my God, it's it's really natural here. And I was and I was wondering like what you find about your visitors, like 
when they arrive, are, do they anticipate more luxury than you can provide? Or are they pretty prepared? Or what's your observation? Yeah, so those from the Rocky Mountains in Colorado are actually, they're fairly adaptable. I think what actually comes as the biggest shock to many now is the lack of Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh-huh, one of right? the questions that I get most often is, do you have Wi-Fi? And we do have Wi-Fi at the office. There's a hotspot that anybody can come up and connect to. But even the most adventurous people now, it seems, are very used to having cell phone signal and being connected. And so the Colorado adventurers come down and for them, I think it's a 24 hour period of a technology detox. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to give them some space during that because it can bring up a bit of anxiety for people. But the beauty of it is after that 24 hours, they're relieved. You know, they say, Oh, I'm so glad that I don't have Wi-Fi because this gives me permission to fully be in the jungle and really enjoy it. Um, in a way that technology seems to draw us away from being very present, as I think many people are feeling that too, is all of this virtual world we're living in, we're more connected to our devices than ever. Wow, it's interesting. It's almost like withdrawal. Yeah, it is a period of withdrawal. It's very shocking. And so I've been trying to find the balance, especially as a new mom, of not being on my device all the time. You know, I'm very aware of this little guy watching me. Uh, But to speak to your point about people coming down and being shocked by the jungle, I would say it's actually people from the cities who have this more romantic Hollywood notion of the jungle, you know, jungle book, fun and exciting and adventure. But the reality is that the jungle is a wild place and it does push us out of our comfort zones. Those ants are one example, which is actually a fairly unusual occurrence here. But inevitably, our guests do have experiences with the creatures here. And I think they walk away feeling empowered and excited that they've had this adventure and have reconnected with the natural world. So it pushes them out of their comfort zone, which is uncomfortable, but I think it pushes them to grow in a beautiful way. You uh, hint at a couple of stories in the book that that, uh, sparked my curiosity. One of them was... I think this section is something like unbelievable things that happened or something like that. (laughs) And you didn't go into any details, but you mentioned a customer who threatened to sue because she discovered that the lodge was actually in a jungle. Did did (laughs) that really happen? Yeah. You know, we have amazing guests that come through here. I'd say 99% of the people are fantastic. I've made some incredible friendships. But that 1%, just like any business, there's going to be some weird experiences that come up, and especially if you're in business for a while. And so we've had a handful of very bizarre incidents, uh, one of which was, yes, it was a, a guest from a big city who came out and was completely out of their comfort zone, and they go into panic mode and I unfortunately, many people in the US, the first reaction is, I'm going to sue you because this is not what I expected and I want my money back and I don't care about your policies. And, you know, it took him off guard and his response was a little bit extreme. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we've had some guests that are going through personal things. There was another story in there that I don't actually recall how deeply I went into it, but somebody who had just come out of AA and was fairly unstable. And unfortunately had a meltdown and my father went to look for her and, you know, she was stumbling around in the jungle. And so there are some bizarre things that happen. 
I can Luckily, imagine. that only a handful in the last decade. So <laughs> we'll hope we've gotten most of that out of our system. Right. I can imagine. It's wild. It's a wild place and wild things are going to happen. Yeah. I wanted to compliment you on your marketing materials. I looked at the website, which is just lovely. And the book is very pretty. And everything just has this really charming style to it. Um, and now, of course, you're, you've got baby pictures, uh, which is so mm-hmm. adorable. And so how did perfecting your brand happen? Thank you for those kind words. I really appreciate it. And it has been a long, slow process. And I think a big part of that, why it all seems to have come together in a graceful way is that I feel very aligned with what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've read The Alchemist, but there's a line in there that's, if you're following your purpose, then the world conspires to support you. Something along those lines. I don't know if that's exactly how it's how it's put. But I do feel that when you are doing what you really believe in, then branding and marketing starts to come naturally. Mm-hmm. I think um, the, the lodge took years for us to find the real brand. And then we realized, no, we're not an eco chic lodge. You know, we're not a super high end. We're rustic, we're adventure. And so that brand came together as we found our, our wording for that and our right, you know, our clientele. And the book has been, it took me three years to write the manuscripts before I even thought about finding a publisher. And then I worked with this awesome publisher, HarperCollins Leadership. They've been so supportive and they did a great job with the cover and all of the imagery that goes with it. And then, of course, as you read in the book, all the interviews with the other free-spirited wildpreneurs they all have added so much great energy to the project too. And as far as the website goes, a lot of their words and inspiration are on there. So it's really been a a team effort and it's been a slow and steady project that I think, again, it's taking that time to let it germinate and let the wild ideas flow and then let the action kind of go naturally. Yes, it's really interesting to read about all those other entrepreneurs. Some of them have really cool businesses. And how did you find them? So many of them, I think the the idea for interviewing the other wildpreneurs came from actually seeing all these really unique businesses opening up in the town of San Pancho, which is right near my jungle lodge. Oh. For those of you that are familiar with this coastline, we're about an hour north of Puerto Vallarta and there's two towns here. One is Sayulita and the other is San Pancho. And it's really, both of these towns have become international hubs. Many free spirits from all over the world come and they, they just have a wild idea. And within a few weeks, they've got a little storefront or they've got a little food truck and they've started their business. And I was really fascinated by how all these little businesses were popping up. Mm-hmm. And as I was writing my story, I realized, well, I'm not the only wildpreneur. There's so many people that are doing this. And also the van life movement and digital nomads and podcasters like yourself who are just designing their lives personally and professionally to taking charge of what they want to create. And so I was really inspired by this movement and also hearing the stories of guests coming through the lodge who were sharing their wild ideas. Mm. And then in my travels personally, we close the lodge in the summertime for the rainy season. It's even a little too much for me in the rainy season. The, 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 jung, the jungle is fine in the dry season, but the 
wildlife really comes out in the summer and I prefer to let it do its thing. So we take a break. (laughs) (laughs) And we can only imagine. Oh yeah. I call it the avatar jungle in the summertime. It's a little bit too wild even for me. So yeah, we head to Colorado and British Columbia. We drive across the country to Lake George, the Adirondacks. My husband has a home there. And then back to Canada, Quebec, of course, where I grew up. So in those travels, I have been just so intrigued by little wild businesses and free spirits along the way. So Mm. I think you'll find that as now that you've heard our route each year, that a lot of the wildpreneurs tend to be concentrated in those locations. That's really amazing. Who would have thought? You talk about some really big lessons that you learned in the hard way in the book. A couple of things that struck me was really neglecting your health. And then a period of time where cash flow was low. And so you pivoted to doing nutritional coaching online. And then also where you lived, you know, giving yourself a better place to live. So as you listen to entrepreneurs who are facing similar problems, what what do you think are common pitfalls? Yeah, I think the first thing you just mentioned about self-care, that was a big one for me. (laughs) I was was straight out of college and I was so motivated and driven and I really put everything I had into building this business and spent very little time taking care of myself. And I think as I've interviewed other wildpreneurs, entrepreneurs, it's a long game. And if you don't take care of yourself from the beginning, then burnout is a real thing that many people experience. I don't know if you've tasted that yourself, but when you're running your own show and you're not working a nine to five, you're working kind of all the time managing your time. It's really easy to overdo it and lose balance. And so I think self-care is super important because if you don't have the energy to do what you are passionate about, then you're probably not going anywhere. You're going to be kind of stuck. And so that's part of it. I think also a mistake that people make is, again, that romantic notion of following your dream, chasing your passion. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not an easy journey. Mm -hmm. And I think persistence is a really important word. Grit is something I talk about in the book as well, is being willing to work through the challenges that are inevitable. Uh, One of the mantras that I have talked to many free spirits about the no mud, no Lotus is a Thich Nhat Hanh philosophy. And, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely true. And I think many of us are in the mud right now, working towards working through this challenge, finding the silver linings. And, and I think ultimately this will make us stronger and that's the crux of it. That's the essence of being a wildpreneur is getting willing to get dirty, get gritty, persevere through the mud. And then you will find that reward, that treasure, and that lotus at the other end. So what's happening now? Are people still coming during the pandemic or or what's happening? Yeah, so yeah, the community here is taking it very seriously, which I'm actually impressed. I know just like in the U.S., Mexico has had many different responses according to the different states. And they're pretty much, the whole community is shut down. <laughs> you have to have, their system down here is actually... It's fairly brilliant where they have a checkpoint right at the entrance of town and you have to have a a number in your windshield that shows how many people are coming into your vehicle and how many are coming back that you have the San Pancho residents. Anyway, they're very specific about who can come into town. I see. 
And as far as the lodge goes, we have no guests here. It's actually the first time in many, many years that we've been empty for any period of time. We're usually very full. And at first it came as a shock. I'm sure many people can relate to that. All of a sudden, just big pause. I was also on book tour. We were headed to South by Southwest in Austin and that was canceled. So that was a reroute and back to the jungle. But I think now that we're settling into it, it's actually been a really special family time for us, which having a six-month-old and the grandparents are right on site, and we are taking many little adventures around the lodge. <laughs> sure. And, uh, and so just appreciating this time to slow down. And just like on the Baja, I feel that this time to get slow is actually an opportunity for inspiration to catch up. So I've been writing and feeling very inspired about new connections, just like this one, chatting with you. No, I love how you are able to turn these lemons into lemonade. It's, 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 uh, it's really <laughs> obvious in your book. It's really cool. And in the book, I was also really appreciative of your honest accounting about money and financing, which sometimes we don't always get from entrepreneurs. And there's kind of curious, like, well, where did the money come from? And <laughs> so you were very honest that you got seed money from your from your parents, if I recall. And yeah. so how's that working now? Have you paid them back or are they happy to stay as investors? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's no perfect system. But what we decided as a family was that my parents would get half of the profit coming from the lodge every year. And we started out in the beginning, which meant that they got very little. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Half of not much, right. And now they actually get a good chunk. And so they have a very good setup. I would think my parents will tell you that not only are they having an amazing life down here, but it's also made financial sense for them. Um, Because when you have a lodge, it means that your lifestyle is pretty much paid for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They don't have any expenses and they're here about half the year. So yeah, we, we didn't take on outside investors. That was a preferred choice for us to keep it within the family. And the family dynamic has definitely been a challenge and an evolution for us, which I think you you mentioned in your email about the family chapter being of interest, and it's certainly been a big element of my journey as a wellpreneur. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating, and I hadn't read anything like that in other uh, books about entrepreneurship, and you just addressed some really interesting topics right up front about communication and also not doing planning while you're drinking, which I thought was really funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, good, good advice, right? Really, really good <laughs> advice. Do you have any other highlights you want to share? Yeah, I think, as I say in the chapter, it really has been a mission impossible turned inside out in that there are many times when I thought I had gone crazy to think that this was going to work. But ultimately, it's been the family aspect that has kept me going. So mm. it's kind of a tug of war in that sense. and. I feel super grateful to have been on many long distance trips with my parents and our relationship kind of evolved from the father, daughter, mother, daughter to peers. And we really had spent a lot of time working together as a team, not in a business sense, but those wilderness adventures really prepared us for, for entrepreneurship, 
which is not an easy journey, no matter who you're working with. Mm-hmm. And I think I noticed on your website that you have done a lot of work with communication <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and as a family, communication isn't always easy, right? I think we sometimes treat family members a little differently than we treat outsiders. Yeah. And so I do talk about the family fundament fundamentals, which I think it starts really with honesty and trust, respect, and then communication has been huge for us. And it's always something that we have to continue to work on, especially now while we're all at home all the time, we're going Mm -hmm. back to those skills that we've cultivated over the years and saying, okay, we need some boundaries and communication and, and we're lucky to have a willingness to work through it together because it's definitely a challenge. Well, as a parent, I have to say, I'm probably kind of jealous of your parents. It must just be wonderful for them to see you emerge as an adult and and as a businesswoman. So I bet they really enjoy that. <laughs> well, thank you for that. I I think they do. For you know, I think 90% of the time anyway. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there, there's another chapter that you have about dating uh, when you're an entrepreneur, um, which also I thought was unusual and helpful. So can you share some highlights from that? Yeah, I have actually done some reflection on this personally because I'm into the three years of a relationship and we now have a six month old and we're in new territory with our relationship as new parents. It brings up a lot of challenge um, and it's making us stronger. So I'm, I'm grateful to have a Tarzan and I call him my Tarzan who is, who is in this with me. But I think my journey of dating was certainly rough. First of all, I was in the jungle, which there's not a lot of dating opportunities out here, but mm-hmm. it also prompted me to think about how entrepreneurs in general, we live by a different set of normal. You know, we mm-hmm. not necessarily coming home at five and having our, our life be separate from our work. And I think many wildpreneurs share a very driven, focused, and all-consumed approach to their business, which can make it really difficult to have room for a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think many of the relationships, I say, I kissed a lot of frogs, you know, I I, I also had a very romantic notion of what a relationship would be like with Tarzan and Jane and Disney movies and all of that influence. And so I first had to decide, first of all, I want a relationship, but I'm willing to make it a priority. And second of all, realize that a healthy relationship starts with loving yourself. Mm. And this goes back to the invest in yourself element of my book, The Self-Care, which until I completely figured out how to make myself happy and nourish myself and find that balance, there was no way that I could actually have a solid relationship that was healthy. And Really, I think until I figured that out, I imagine, you know, they say you're looking for your other half is a saying, Mm -hmm. but I actually think you're looking for your other whole. I think it's two rings and you come together, you link arms and you're journeying through life together. And so that's kind of a long winded response to that. But I think really finding yourself is the first step to finding a solid relationship and then timing, of course, I think flowing and not forcing it. And a good test for those of you that may be listening and are in a relationship and want to give it a test, I like to call it the kayak test, which I am a kayaking guide as part of the lodge. And our guests, many couples, honeymooners, some that have been married many, many years, have to paddle a kayak together, a tandem kayak. And it's actually fairly comical (laughs) to Mm -hmm. watch and listen, but it's a really useful exercise 
exercise in teamwork and communication, and it can be a really good trial of a relationship. So that would be my two bits on that. I remember that. I had forgotten that until just now that, yeah, you observe the couples. Some couples have to have separate kayaks, and then some couples work together quite well, others not so much. Mm -hmm. And it's reminding me, I know I've had some friends who have purchased tandem bicycles, and they've said, you know, this can really (laughs) test your marriage. Oh, yeah. And some may decide it's just not a good fit, right? It's not for everyone. Of course, yeah. So I think you have some advice for potential wildpreneurs. Yeah. In my book tour, I actually came up with this little equation, and I think it's been well-received as something that even if you're not actively an entrepreneur, I think it's something that can be applied to wild ideas and life in general right now. And so it's the three W's. The first W is wish, which is that pause, that getting slow and setting your intention around how you'd like to live your life. And that for me started with a daydreaming and visualization. And so making a wish, you know, when you wish on a penny or you wish on a birthday candle, you close your eyes and you really imagine how you want that wish to take shape. And so that's the first W is wish. The second W is the wildpreneur approach, which we touched on that briefly. And that's this idea of no mud, no lotus. So Mm -hmm. being willing to get dirty, get gritty, and persevere through the inevitable challenges that will come. And so that's wildpreneur approach, W2. And W3 is wisdom. And I talk about this a little bit at the end of my book, which is The chapter is called Jungle Drama Meets Aloha. And it really is about infusing love and this holistic approach into the wildpreneur experience or life in general. And so for me, that means the triple bottom line, people, planet, and profit, and and also sustainability and just putting love into all aspects of our business. Because I think that the world really needs that right now. And so those are the three W's that I would offer is wish, wildpreneur approach, and wisdom. Oh, that's great. So anything new on the horizon? (laughs) Well, for now, trying to be a really good mom, which is a new adventure for me. Mm -hmm. And also, I think just putting my book in the right hands. And it's so exciting for me to have someone like you reading the book and and having it resonate and parts that you really enjoyed. And that's always been my mission is to get people to think a little bit and to tune into maybe what makes them come alive. And so my book tour is on hold at the moment, but I'm actually making some exciting new connections with Ariane Huffington now has the book and she's always been such an inspiration to me. Oh, how cool. Yeah. Kind of recalibrating and figuring out how to continue to spread the wildpreneur inspiration. And I'll be continuing to interview wildpreneurs on my site too. So for those of you that have read the book and are wanting to continue to have some inspiration and wild ideas, there's lots of new articles being posted on the blog right now. Right. So before I let you go, is there uh, any place you would like to refer the listeners to so they can follow your work or get the book or whatever you'd like to share? Yeah. So wildpreneurs.com that's wildpreneurs with an s uh you'll find pretty much everything you'll 
you would like to find about wildpreneurs on there. And then I'm fairly active on Instagram at wildpreneurs and Facebook at wildpreneurs. And of course you can check out my jungle lodge is called the tailwind jungle lodge. And the reason that it's called tailwind is because we have found from our long distance adventures, that kayaking adventure specifically that life is much sweeter when you have a wind at your back. (laughs) And so the website for that is tailwindjunglelodge.com. And you can also find wild printers available on there too. So yeah, thanks for following and checking out my websites. Good. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Tamara. Thank you so much for chatting with me. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. During the pandemic, we'll be changing our format in honor of those who are quarantined or working on the front lines. We'll put out shorter shows on a daily or near daily basis early in the morning to start your day on a positive and interesting note. We'll be considering work-related issues relevant while COVID-19 is impacting the world. If you have a question or a comment or a message for our listeners, please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us through the website, discreetguide.com, D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T, where you can also find other resources about working better together. Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces, our work lives, and our lives in general. And thanks for listening. We look forward to returning to our old format when the world has returned to a more normal state. In the meantime, please hang in there, stay safe, and know that I care about you.